Why would you look at me? <coughs> well, I don't know. I'll just, just here so I can, like, take my eye gaze to either one. I don't know. Side eyes. Side eyes are the good ones. I can do, like, little tilt. It's, it's always the sideways <laughs> glance you've got to watch out for. We're almost at the end of January. It is, um, it is nuts. For whatever reason, 2020 flew by so, so quickly. I sort of figured it maybe had something to do with um, isolation or stress or something like that. I don't know. But 2021, like it's just January. It's, it's basically done. It's, it's crazy. Australia Day was yesterday and uh, along with it came, uh, came a fair bit of controversy uh, as per usual. I'd love to hear your um, your opinions on uh, on the 26th of January, Australia Day. Um, leave them in the comments below. If you've been enjoying the um, the podcast up until now, leave a rating. And um, as usual, uh, any suggestions or um, questions, um, also leave them in the comments. The next two episodes are with uh, my good friends Matt and Liz. Matt and Liz were actually uh, on their way through from uh, from Jindy up to Queensland. And um, happened to stop by uh, sunny tropical Oberon. So yeah, we um, we went out to dinner. We had a few glasses of wine, and uh, we had a very um, very random and Im- impromptu recording of uh, of an episode. So the uh, the audio quality is going to sound a little bit echoey um, and a little bit funny. Uh, that's because I moved all the gear into um, into the house. So. There's, um, there's no audio treatment or um, anything like that in there. So, But I hope you bear with it. Matt and Liz are uh, two fantastic, amazing humans. And uh, uh, hope I uh, hope you enjoy the next two episodes. As per usual, if you need a little bit of a pick-me-up, Journey Made Coffee has uh, all your caffeinated needs. Go to www.journeymadecoffee.com.au. Place an order and uh, use the code MYMATE for 10% off. So without further ado, this is my mate, Matt and Liz. So I don't know if you guys can uh, can hear, and, and I'm talking to the uh, talking to the podcast listeners. It's very, very echoey. I'm actually inside the main house, not in the cave. And I have a couple of guests. I actually have two guests. This, is, this will be the first time I've had two guests in person. So we've got a return guest, Matt. Matt, hi, man. Hi, Kev. <laughs> and we've got uh, Matt's partner. Are we, are we saying partner? Girlfriend? Girlfriend sounds like 16-year-olds. It does sound a bit juvenile. We can go partner. <laughs> partner. And, and my, uh, my, my childhood friend, Liz. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for dropping. Pa- Holy crap, the echo in here. Good Lord. Okay, I'm going to have to take this off and not listen to it because it's really going to do my head in. So, is it that bad? It is really bad. Wow. Mm. Guys, thank you so much for dropping past. It's a pleasure. What are you guys doing here other than seeing me and waiting an incredibly long time for Ty? Well, who doesn't want to visit Oberon? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we're trying to slowly kill Kev here with his uh, laughing. (laughs) No, we've um, we've both just taken leave from work Mm -hmm. uh, for a long-awaited road trip holiday to go and visit family and friends. After a very long time. Yeah. And I mean, that's not just seeing family and friends because of the COVID restrictions. Mm. 
I think this... Uh, we're on holiday for four weeks. Yay. I think this is probably going to be the longest time that we've had off together in three years. Yeah, I see. Oh, quite easily, yeah. So this is this will be your first stretch of leave from your new employment? Correct. What do you do for work, Liz? Just just for everyone out in the ether. Not just I me. now manage one of the gyms in Ginderbine. Cool. So I manage, help manage 10 employees. Um, I personal train, I teach classes, take care of the day-to-day business. Um, awesome. Help the owner out with all of that stuff. Excellent. I find myself sucking my gut in. <laughs> <laughs> no need for that. <laughs> no, very, very cool. So you guys are heading um, north. We're going north. We're, uh, we're going to meander our way through to Queensland, hopefully. Excellent. Um, we're hoping that by the time we get to near Queensland, that yep. the borders will still be open. Yep. Because, uh, as you know, that's a fluid situation. It's an extremely fluid situation. I think they, I think they found... A case in Hornsby in the sewer, but apart from that, it's all been pretty, yeah, pretty clean. Well, they actually had that at uh, Perisher. I heard that, yeah, yeah during the winter. Back in winter. Yep, um, and they had a case up at the Bathurst One Thousand too. Yep, in the toilets. I don't know how you get qualified for that job, but I'm I'm glad I don't do it. It's something that they actually do on a regular basis. Really, it's only just that uh, they've been reporting on it, so they do actually test wastewater for a range of things. Okay. Um, one of the more common ones that I'm aware of is they test for illicit drugs and they wow. can actually tell like, uh, by general populace, um, by treat, by testing the wastewater huh. about, you know, who like population bases, what sort of illicit drugs they use and roughly how much There you go. based on the samples that they take. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And they and, tra- they do track it. Yeah. And I mean, up, up around Perisher is a, a main thing again that they do for that. I think, um. Especially during the winter. Sure. Yeah, we have heard of tourism up there. And what is the drug situation like up Parish? Is it pretty? I don't think it's It's no no worse than anywhere else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, it's we do occasionally hear about it in winter just because of the um, people that travel. Sure. And typically, people are coming to um, you know mountain holiday destinations uh, for you know, a holiday for a party for a, you know, get away from their normal everyday life. So it wouldn't be unusual to, mm-hmm. for them to find that. And they do the odd, they do the odd drug bust down there mm. each, each winter, each and every winter. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, but I don't think it's any worse than anywhere else. Okay. I mean, it doesn't, it, there's not a whole lot of impact on, you know, the local population as, as far as drug use is concerned. Yep. I'm sure people are just participating for a good time <laughs> on their holiday. Yeah. No, fair enough. Well, it's it's definitely a little bit different here. I mean, we've got um, at, at any town, I suppose, that has high industry um, and round-the-clock shift work, you usually find that the drug problem in the town is usually fairly high. Yeah. Because I know, um, like, Orange was Orange was and is pretty bad for it. And yeah. This town is as well, so. Yeah, we did notice that a lot in Orange. And, I mean, there, there was quite a big um, impact in the community for it. There's a lot more... Um, resources available for people with substance abuse sure. um, issues. Um, Kuma, close to us, does have a little bit. But, um, I think again, they, yeah, they think they've, they've sort of looked at different, especially country towns yeah. with, um, you know, social and work uh, inequalities. Sure. You know, people that 
have a lot of a lot of time on their hands and not a lot of resources available to them and a lot of money from shift work yeah potentially there sure. is that there is that possibility uh, they've also sort of likened I've, I've read in a lot of places where they've sort of looked at the, the socio-economic Economic. reasons for um, heavy or increased illicit drug use and it's actually got a lot to do with social connection and community or lack thereof yeah so even people that uh, you know have a lot of neighbours but they don't interact with them or they don't have community groups that they associate with or yeah. um, it sort of mixes up with that so people don't have that social connection so they sort of wander down this other path yeah. as a, a way to either cope or escape yeah um having not been a user myself i you know i can't personally attest to it but i've sure. yeah a lot of the research and things that i've sort of read over the years has got a lot to do with with that yep and it's uh it's an interesting subject and it's a a, as a wider community issue it's a it's a fairly big one yeah i think australia in general australia in general is probably one of the strictest countries i would say in mm. regards to drug use and drug ownership and paraphernalia and all that sort of stuff and obviously i'm using the wrong terms because i'm just not in that scene either but <laughs> um one of the hot, hot one of the most hotly contested um subjects and um one of the things that takes a lot of people by surprise um, from overseas is how strict we are on marijuana. Mm. So do you guys have <coughs> any opinions on whether or not legalisation of it will solve problems as a lot of people think? Or um, I, I think to a... Yes, yes, I think it will help legalising it. It just depends on how we go about it and to what level you condone the use of it. Sure. Um, I mean, you always want to do something if it's naughty, don't you? You know, it's like your parents going, well, no, don't touch that. So what do you do? You go and touch it. Yep. Um, there might be a little bit of that as well. But there are proven medical benefits um, for a wide variety of conditions. Um, now, I think Australia is um, very strict, but also at the same time, I think they're very open to... Um, testing scientifically uh -huh. trying to figure out good appropriate uses yep. um, rather than condoning it to be um, something that's detrimental to the community so sure. I think in, in that way we, we're actually pretty lucky that we can open that conversation um, and have some pretty strict guidelines yep. and, um, and direction on eventually um, and it will be it's not it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when uh -huh. I think it um, is legalised now yep um yeah, I think it'll be a very positive thing yeah. if it's rolled out correctly. Yep. Um, and I mean, when you think about it, I mean, it's it's probably the least thing to worry about as far as affecting the community is concerned at this point in time. There's a lot of, from what I hear, um, you know, my professional opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's, there's a lot of um, other things out there that we, we need to be worried about on the drug front. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the thing is that as, as well is that um, anything taken in any any substance, it doesn't matter whether or not it's a, a drug or, you know, something that we, we things that we don't necessarily think are a drug like, um, you know, caffeine or sugar, hmm. you know, anything taken in, in excess or abuse or anything like that is, is going to be detrimental to your health. Well, of course it is. I mean, I mean we look at the stuff that we've got that is available to us 
And alcohol is a perfect example. You know, alcohol would be a great example. So yeah. alcohol has, uh, you know, a lot of interesting effects on humans and we have legalized it and we tax the heck out of it. Yep. But it's become, we've, we've made it socially acceptable for people to consume alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't made it socially acceptable for people to consume copious amounts of the stuff like we put rules against that yeah but we don't stop people from doing it yeah um we say we do you know with all of the responsible service of alcohol and all those sort of things and they do from time to time enact those those rules and say how go home but they don't stop anybody from drinking themselves literally to death at home Mm -hmm. um same way you mentioned you know one of the one of the biggest risks on our biggest drains on our healthcare system is actually the effects from things like diabetes and type 2 diabetes massive massive drain on the healthcare system Mm. yet nobody's out there talking about how much sugar's in our food that's right well they are but no one's listening (laughs) because they're too busy consuming it and going well this is wonderful i love it you know our body will crave it for till the day we die and as long as we can get it it's just as addictive yeah you know i know that uh liz and i are both coffee drinkers and i know you are to Kev and if you ask the average coffee drinker are they addicted to coffee no I just like coffee and you go have you ever tried quitting (laughs) (laughs) I tried quitting caffeine once as a shift worker it hurts and it was painful (laughs) (laughs) I found it a very disturbing experience you know it was copious amounts of headaches because my body was craving the one thing that it couldn't have which was caffeine and you know to to go home at 8 o'clock at night after not having any coffee for the whole day think with a raging headache going oh my god you know i'm not going to sleep tonight and to literally have a cup of coffee <laughs> to get yourself to sleep to go to headache. sleep that's you know that's called a problem it's, that's that's a problem that's an you know just as addicted to caffeine <laughs> as some people might be addicted to other things so how do you guys have your coffee um anyway no milk but i try not to because it packs on the pounds most of the um, um, we commonly drink black coffee now. Very so good. long blacks. We mm-hmm. sort of both. It's got to be good coffee. Though. Yeah, like a decent decent cup of black coffee. Sure. Um, just because we both started liking coffee a little bit too much, and if you drink <laughs> if you drink white coffee or milky coffees yep. all day, you just um, yeah you may as well just be drinking milk. Yeah. Well, you're not really doing it for the taste of the coffee, and I mean, let's face it, Matty, you're a bit of a coffee snob. I've, I've become a coffee snob, yes. Yep. I have to admit that. Do, do you guys brew your own coffee at home or is it always going out? And- no, you uh, coffee. We do both. So I think what's your preferred method at home? My, well, my preferred method is with an espresso machine. Okay. Um, so we do have a you know, nice little grinder and an espresso machine okay. at home. Um, How many hours of research did you put into finding <laughs> our current machine? <laughs> <laughs> Too many. Six months. <laughs> I researched my coffee machine purchase for six months before I actually went with one. Well, it's, a, it's, it's a big investment. It's yeah. a life-changing investment. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, I've got to say, I do appreciate the, the, the end result. You have cafe-quality coffee frustrating. at home. But uh, we've also, I think we've got every other which means of creating coffee that we really could, i would have we, got two aero presses oh no you two aero presses i think i gave one to somebody else Very so nice. we do have aero press we have a, have a delta press i have got a, a cold brew i have an aero press in my uh in my black bag on my appliance mm. yep yeah i do I have, a, I have a delta press that i take with me and um i take it take it to work with me so yep. 
in the uh, in the unlikely event that we're unable to get coffee, I can make coffee. I work across the road from our coffee shop, so that's not an issue. Like it's literally 20 metres from my Excellent. place of work. I stopped just short of um, crushing and snorting coffee beans. <laughs> Although if you coat them in chocolate, I do eat them as well. Yeah, I love ch- uh, chocolate-coated coffee beans to a problem. and Because I eat them like M&Ms. I'll yeah. sit there and watch a movie and just... And then I, I wonder why I can't sleep and I'm shaking. Yeah, <laughs> after about 50 coffee beans, which is... It was, it was not the, the horror movie of, you just watched. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you do spend the next day trying to get all the, uh, the, sh- the coffee grounds out of your teeth, essentially. I, I didn't know where you were going with that comment, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew where I was going with it. <laughs> Speaking of grinding, what sort of grinder do you have? Do you remember? Well, I actually have a, I believe, I do remember, it's a, I didn't go all out on the grinder, I will be honest. I, it's still a pretty impressive, here, still a pretty impressive grinder. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually, it's a Breville grinder. Uh, oh, no, it's one of the, um, it's a, you can actually dial it up, change the dosing. Okay. Um, is it is it a chopper or is it a grinder? No, it's an actual grinder. Okay. Yeah. So right. I'm we aware. Still be friends. I am aware of <laughs> the spice, quote unquote, grinders, yeah. which are really just um, cutting blades. No, yeah. it's a it's a burr grinder. Cool. So it's um, it's a you know fully adjustable burr grinder. Excellent. Conical burr grinder. Very good. Yep. Not you two nerding out on coffee. Full nerd. <laughs> Full nerd. I've I've been told that once I once I invest into something, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm just I'm 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 pits deep into it. That's yeah, so all right. So I, I have my my ceramic conical shaped grinder and I I do pour over. Yep, we do pour over. So you are more coffee nerd than than I. Uh, look, uh, it, it just so happens that um, that one of my uh, my good mates has a has a roastery up the coast. Ah, yes. Mm. So, and he sends me uh, he sends me beans, which is lovely. We actually have a bag of that's right this coffee. What did, what did you think? Oh, but I, I haven't tried it yet. Ugh. The okay. only reason is I is we, it's got my face on it. No, it's because we have <laughs> we like our coffee fresh. Okay. So we already, when that bag arrived, um, it did arrive just in time for us to start using it. Okay. Um, but we both realized we'd run out of coffee at the same time. So Liz had actually gone out and bought coffee beans at the same <laughs> time as me. And it just so happened that we opened that bag about an hour before uh, our journey enough. made showed up. So what we've done is we actually have in the car and we're going to be partaking in it on our road trip excellent with mm-hmm. our uh, with our press with you our aeropress when we're camping you should get a vacuum vacuum storage container for your oh we've got one well. <laughs> vacuum storage container the nice little uh, nice little uh, Hario hand grinder for fresh beans it's UV, all about the UV process. stabilized storage and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff so it doesn't set off the chemical reaction of the beans and Uncle God, I, I'll just <laughs> when you make it I, okay so if we're going to uh I can't claim to be coffee nerd. I've I have seen your kitchen. <laughs> You're currently sitting about two meters away from it. I'm looking over my shoulder, and I, when I was making a, a nice cup of tea here that I got with me, I noticed that you have a a nice little set of scales as ah, yes. well. Yes, I have not gone to that that level. 
No, I did. I got scales for Christmas. Okay. We have them now. We're at that level. <laughs> We're there. Disregard. Well, I mean, look, if, if you've got an espresso machine, I don't think you can use scales with it because doesn't it mm. go by... Oh, no, you can weigh them. You can weigh them, um, but you you need to weigh essentially the um, the portafilter and everything and then get, your, get your measurement. Um, whereas I base mine more on uh, pour time. Okay. So we'll adjust it based on for every different bean that we'll get, different different blend, different times. We'll yep. I just base it on pour time and the um, quality that comes out. So I can adjust it as we go. <laughs> I can see your eyes glazing over here, Liz. <laughs> no, I look, I appreciate it. <laughs> I've had I many really long do. conversations with a good friend of ours that owns a coffee shop yeah. whilst working over the top of a <laughs> you know, of a thirty plus thousand dollar machine and there is secrets to getting good quali- good quality <laughs> coffee, and you know it's there's no secret. It's a secret, but there's no secret. You just the consistency thing is the hardest thing yeah. to get, I think. Yeah, I was going to say all the all the guys and girls made fun of me at the station for having an AeroPress until we were out on the side of the road at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Suddenly the, um, and the and then the kettle comes out in the AeroPress, and everyone just stops and smells and looks and I'm there by the side. Just Do you have one of those fantastic electric kettles that has to plug into the appliance that takes about 12 minutes to get a single cup? Yes. Oh, they're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Just get yourself a jet boil. Oh, so take a jet boil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't imagine those would be terribly safe to be putting in the side of a fire truck. Why not? Mm. Well, you know, if you go you know, driving through bushland that's on fire, as, we, as some people did last year... Mm. And uh, I couldn't imagine a jet boil being terribly... Well, if, you're, if your truck's catching fire, you're probably in the wrong spot. <laughs> you got bigger problems than you got other boil. problems to worry about <laughs> rather than what's on the back of it. So, speaking of fire, um, I know um, from your previous episode and the round table, it's been well documented about your, your current employment and your, and your work history. But Liz, I wanted to talk to you about what it's like being from the other side, mm. what it's like being a partner of someone that's, um, that works in the emergency services. Um, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very broad question. Um, no, look, it's, I, I am super proud of what Matt does, really respect what he does for a living. Um, being tied to people in firefighting is not a new thing for me. Sure. Um, I mean, we both grew up with the RFS. It was an every weekend, every day every activity, summer. every summer <laughs> um, activity for us. Yeah. You know, we saw our parents and, and friends and then we used to go out yep. um, and help with that. So from that respect, it's um, nothing particularly surprises me with what Matt does for work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm quite well aware of... Um, some of the, the potential hazards he faces with his work and accept all of those. Um, you know, I am concerned sometimes about his safety, but, you know, he's trained well, he's got a good crew, and um, none of it's a mystery to me. Yeah, Matt's So it doesn't a, freak me out at all. You're pretty lucky as well that Matt's got a pretty good head on his shoulders as well. Mm. Like, I know people that have been in the job for a very, very long time, not just firefighters, that aren't aren't necessarily the most sensible people in the yeah. world when shit hits the fan. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> um, but no, I mean, both of us with our past with ski patrol as well can, I suppose, have a little bit of an appreciation from that with what people with emergency services do. Sure. Um, but no, I've, I've grown up around people in those environments. I currently have, um, you know, a sibling that's 
in the police force. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people do just as many other dangerous jobs. Yeah. I mean, driving a long commute to work is probably scary. Actually, that's probably what scares me most with Matt's job is when he's got to commute to Canberra from Jindabyne. Like, I worry about his car trip the most how, rather than what he does at work. How far is it from how many hours? It's about... Oh, from our house to Canberra, it's about 180 kilometres. Okay. So it's usually about a, anywhere from hour 45 to two hours. Mm. Is it all highway? Most of it. Most of it, highway. yeah. yeah but seriously, though, that, that's probably what I think is <laughs> one of the most dangerous things you do. Yeah. yeah. Is being out on the road with other people. I you know, when uh, you're doing your job, you're switched on, you've got your training, you've got your crew there. You know, you're less likely to make a mistake. So, mm. But no, it's, yeah, I'm, I am. I'm very proud of what he does. It's fantastic. When he's away for his um, for his block of shifts, yeah. um, do, is it something you're constantly thinking about, or is it? No, I don't is get. It I don't knowing get time. that <laughs> <laughs> I don't get time to think about what he's doing. I'm busy enough doing my job. God. Um, no. Um, again, we have we don't, we don't have any kids, so um, I have a lot of time to myself, mm-hmm. um, and I commit a lot of that, most of that to my work anyway sure um, keeps me busy enough um, we chat every day we swap work stories every day so yeah no there's there's no particular wondering what he does and Liz gives me a whole bunch of grief that you know I say <laughs> that we had lunch three hours later than normal oh, and god you actually got a, lunch don't talk to me <laughs> I copped a whole bunch of grief about that just for mentioning it it's like this is hang on Cool, my job is very busy. <laughs> I have to talk to people all day long. You actually get a lunch break. Don't tell me that you had to warm your dinner up three times. I don't care. <laughs> do you um, do you miss having a part yourself personally as part of the emergency services? Um, yes, and it has crossed my mind to venture going down that path again. Um, but I feel like there's a big fat hairy butt there. Yet there is a big but. I mean, I I enjoy the town that we live in. I enjoy um, all the things about it. And I think for me to go back into the emergency services, it would mean we would have to leave there. Mm, um, okay. Why is that? Um, most of what we would have to do to have full-time employment again. I mean, Canberra would be the closest place. Sure. So, yeah, we'd, ha- we'd have to move. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's different in regional and rural communities. Um, the training, for one. Um, and then to get any kind of full-time position with EMS back in those regional areas, you've got to do your time. Yeah. Um, yep. So it's a, very, it's a very long process to get back to places like that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's... I don't, think, I don't know if I miss it enough to, to give up what we've currently got. That's sure. something we're still playing with. And I mean, you know, our current arrangement works um, with Matt commuting back and forth and um, still living in Jindabyne yeah kind of me having that home base and taking care of that yeah I suppose all three of us were um were brought up very similarly Mm -hmm. and probably the same time and generation and stuff like that so maybe it's not uh being attracted to the emergency services again more so that maybe the the community service or the the sense of duty or service that you want to do for the community well we've both very much been orientated around jobs that help people and my job does that currently, so that, that satisfies me in some way, but it's not as exciting. Sure. <laughs> it's still yeah. very necessary, though. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I live in a world of sweat. <laughs> well, so no, do we. So do I. Technically. Yeah, well, true. <laughs> it's just the number of people that you encounter in that sweat is different. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's other people's sweat. My job? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what? We, we've had conversations in the past about, not just with, his, with ourselves, but with our friends or, you know, ex-colleagues who became lifelong friends. The thing we always missed the most was not necessarily the job itself. Mm-hmm. So we've had different roles in, in different parts of the world, but also different industries. And the things we missed the most were actually that close-knit team. The camaraderie. The camaraderie. Yeah, and the, the you make. The... You know, the, the ability, it's, it's hard to explain to people that have never encountered it. it. Sure. I'm yeah. sure a lot of people have encountered it in some some shape or form, whether it be a sporting team or a close-knit work team. Mm. Um, the thing that happens, I find, in the emergency service, you get a close-knit work team that end up sharing experiences that make that team closer. Mm-hmm. So um, whether it be you know traumatic circumstances or um, a difficult extrication or something highly emotionally charged or whatever it is, mm-hmm. It's actually that that close knit team, that that mm-hmm. trust and that bond that you can get with people in those environments that you actually miss the most. Um, That's the true. difference we found with, especially with emergency services operators, is that there's this underlying tone with people to say, "Well, right now we might be in a really sticky situation. We're going to help each other to get through this situation as best we can." Yep. We're also helping other people in the process, which in itself is a massive reward. Um, People's there's, I don't think there's true altruism in the emergency services. It's only my my personal point of view, but uh, find people tend to do it because they themselves find, um, you know, there's a personal gain to be had from the outcomes of those things, Um, and it's good and bad. Um, you know, you can you can see both ends of that spectrum, but the good typically, for the most part, outweighs the bad a lot of the time. Um, but it's usually followed up with a level of um, community and a social life that comes with those people as well. Yeah. And that was something that we always missed. So especially we had a you know we had a great group of of friends that we could still go and visit or call up now from those jobs mm-hmm. um, where we've had enough shared, not only shared experiences in the job, but shared social experiences where you just have these ultra fond memories of all these things, these experiences that you've had with these people. That's and right. it's that that you miss. Yeah, yep. It's not typically the work environment. Like yep. um, it's the, it's the people, it's always the people that yep. you miss. Um, and you find that, you talk to other people that have maybe worked in those situations that when we encounter them from time to time, or we've had people that we worked with that didn't have as good a time. They didn't have as good an experience and they mm-hmm. don't look on those times as fondly as we do mm-hmm. because their experience was different. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's not about the job. It's not about, you know, the color of a uniform or what color your fire truck is sure. or, um, whether you're skiing on a slope or rescuing people, like people like to, I think people like to pinpoint those and go, oh, it must be great to be a fire. And so you can be a fiery anywhere yep. and have a fantastic time. 
It's if you've got good people. Yeah. Yep. You know, you can be a ski patroller at <coughs> any mountain in the world and have a fantastic time. Yeah. Uh, if you've got a good team to work with, it can, mm. they make or break your day. Yeah. You know, and we've just been incredibly lucky to work with some great people. I think people are uh, really attracted to the emotions associated with it. It's the... Um, it's the it's it's the like you like you said it's the it's it's not necessarily a work environment it's the it's the ultra lows followed by that high that camaraderie the the traumatic experience followed by the the ultra support the non-negotiable friendship and stuff like mm. that that you know people are attracted to yeah it's a bit of the adrenaline the emotional roller coaster sure yeah they all add into it and um, give it a little bit more of a, a meaning. Um, solidify it in your memory a bit more absolutely yeah you get a, i find you get this uh if you break it all down you get this sort of raw emotional human experience and people like that mm-hmm. it's uh like they like said the the highs and the lows it it makes you know if you have a particularly low day um, or a couple of rough incidents it can make the you can sort of turn it around and make the really good things. Yep. They suddenly become these like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm so lucky to be able to do this, um, you know, and share this with, with people. Um, and, you know, vice versa. It, you know, you really do get, you get to experience the whole gamut rather than just it being, it's not a mundane existence. It's very hard for it to be <coughs> mundane because mm. it, it fluctuates around so much. Yeah. One of the things I, I tell the, um, the recruits that come through my station is that um, uh, pick your support network very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I tell them that is because um, it's it's all well and good to, to go home to a partner or a spouse or parents or whoever and need to debrief and, and talk about the incident and what happened. And a lot of us in the emergency services do that by reliving or recounting the incident scene by scene or word by word or unfortunately for for a lot of us body by body um so and and sometimes talking to a spouse or 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 a partner or parents or something like that um in that detail is completely inappropriate um so absolutely how do you find being that support network for matt like obviously as you said you know we've we've lived the emergency services we have um yeah, definitely. You know, we've um, we've seen things from our um, capacities in in that growing up, um, and then skip trolling. You know, we've had our fair share of really bad days, really bad days. We've been there to share it together, which is um, I think good for us. I mean, there's not too many um, too many couples that get sure. to share that same um, sort of emotion and job together in in the job i mean how often do you come across that matt i mean even even in your job how many how many fireys actually work with their spouses and oh i I am aware that there are there definitely are people that do Hmm. um it's not it's not not a common thing no it's not common so we're really lucky to have shared that um so from that i can tell if something's really bothering matt Mm -hmm. um i never press the issue if Matt doesn't feel, especially in this new job, because it is a little bit different, um, if he doesn't feel that he can share that with me, I'm not offended, I'm not upset. Um, it was actually really good. On um, Matt's graduation, they took all the um, immediate family aside. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and had a peer support team mm-hmm. um, that talked to us about, um, and a psychologist, and they, they have an, an enormous support network um, available to them as firefighters, and so do we as family, not just uh, look out for the signs of, of possible um, issues with sure. your spouse in the job, yep. but if, if, if something's affecting you and your home life, or <coughs> if you have an issue at work, we, we get to share on that as well, and that's great. Um, so if it's something he doesn't want to talk to me about, um, that's fine. I will prompt him to go and talk to somebody else. Yeah. Or yep. I know where to go to find the help for him to make them approach him if necessary. But again, Matt's very level-headed with that. In the past, he's been the one that's been there for a lot of people um, as that support. Yeah. And I think he's quite aware of himself as a person. Um, and, and that helps too, knowing yourself yeah. in, in the emergency services. Yeah. Um, you're not always going to catch yourself or, or, you know, there might be a trigger that you are completely unaware of and sure. it catches you off guard. But um, that's very sensitive to that. Um, so I don't usually have to worry about him at all. Um, mm. But, yeah, we look out for each other with that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, he's got a lot of support network there. I suppose it's, it's as big a commitment for the, the person doing the job um, as much as it is for the, the rest of the family. And I, yeah. I, I know being, um, now being in a permanent role, it's, uh, I, I don't know. It's, <coughs> I was going to say it's, it's not as much, but it probably is. But I mean, you remember your days being a, as an on-call firefighter, you know, you'd be at a family event or you'd be out somewhere and you'd literally drop everything and, and go. And, mm. you know, you have to have a very supportive family or, whatever to yeah. be able to do that yeah and i mean they again at your in um, your your graduation they they prepared us for that they said you know this is not just a commitment when you know your spouse your husband wife whatever committed to this mm-hmm. they were committing the whole family mm-hmm. to to this lifestyle so be aware of that yeah hmm. um but again i think matt and i are in a little bit more of a unique position because we have both had similar you know backgrounds um we have other family members in EMS. Uh, we know mm-hmm. what it's about. And I'm not saying that it doesn't get hard. I mean, quite frankly, I'm relieved that you are a full-time fiery now and not a retained. I mean, we were just talking about this at dinner. If I ever hear that page up, the retained <laughs> fireys go off again, I swear to God, I'm going to bust something. Yeah. Because, like, that started to get to me. Sure. Um, a little bit. Um, more yep. than, than your job now. So that, I think, that was more disturbing yeah. um, to our lifestyle than his current job. Have you stopped reacting to those noises? <laughs> Honestly? No. No. Not yet? I haven't stopped reacting to it. It, it was interesting. Um, I had a I had a chat with my, my SO on my first night shift, actually, and the question came to me at the end of my first night shift um, that we, we actually had a relatively... Um, slow night as far as calls went that particular night just you know it does happen Mm -hmm. there's plenty of times where you know uh, a fire truck might go anywhere for an entire shift it does happen it's a great you know it's a really great thing because it means that bad stuff's not happened to people um but there's a you know might be reclining at night um He's just putting air quotes, sleep. <laughs> Reclining. So one of the things, we, we had this discussion, like the, it, some people go, oh my God, how is that possible? Um, it's really a case of 
fatigue managing to say that, you know, we'd rather say that you got a few hours of sleep before that call. So when you get there, you can function at your best rather than sort of slapping yourself to stay awake at three (laughs) o'clock in the morning. It doesn't work. You're fighting your body's natural reactions. Or having Um, a coffee on the side of the road. (laughs) You know, you may, yeah, you, you know, you may just as well be, um, with your eyes shut or you could be out all night. It mm-hmm. just, you know, you just don't know. And this particular night, slow night, um, very, very low call rate. I think after about 10 p.m., we basically didn't get any calls. And it's a common thing that, you know, a lot of new people into the job will lay and stare at the ceiling and go, oh, my God, when's it going to go? When's it going to go? When's it going to go? And I just fell asleep and slept right through. We didn't get any calls for, you know, about a seven-hour period. And I got a full night's rest and... My SO was surprised in the morning to say, well, you know, probies aren't meant to sleep. And, you know, meant to stare at the ceiling all night. And I just went, well, I slept with a pager next to my head for about four years. And um, I got used to that. I knew that if the call came, I would wake up. And I'm not worried about waking up. I will wake up in an instant and get dressed and go straight to work and have no issues with that. The only difference is now I don't have to get dressed and drive to the fire station, which was always the scariest bit Mm. at two o'clock in the morning because you were still waking up. The difference is now you're sleeping, you know, sleeping within about 20 metres off that same truck. So you get up, you know, literally put your pants on, wander out, put your your gear on and get on the truck and go to the job. It's, um, It's that process of understanding that you, if you're comfortable to know that, hey, I'll wake up, um, it's fine. So yeah. I've been okay with it. That being said, I've had a few nights where I have tossed and turned. It's um, the ones that I've found for me personally are when I need a bit of wind down time. After. I don't I don't relax straight away after a job because it's um, you need a little bit of time for everything to relax again. Um, and having discussions with some of my colleagues some of the harder nights are not the ones where you're out all night it's actually when you go to a job you come back and there's about 60 to 90 minutes before that you get another call so your body winds down essentially switches off and then off it goes again and if you get a night like that where you're just up literally up and down like a yo-yo you would have you Mm. you know as an on-call fire it does happen from time to time as well i always found them the hardest nights because your body doesn't know what's up or down. It's like, hang on, are you asleep? Are you awake? Um, but, you know, to go back to where your question started, I still I still find my um, pulse rate jumps about 10 beats a minute whenever I hear one of the pages at the RSL or the local club <laughs> because it sounds exactly like a fire pager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had a conversation with one of the... Um, one of the new guys that's just come out of college um, in the past few weeks. And if there's a TV ad or something on in the background that has the, just the right tone that sounds like the tones in the stations, you will, you will see people turn their heads because yeah. they, they're, they're reacting to a sound that mm. triggers a, a job. And yeah, you still see people that have been doing the job for a long time, they, they react to it. They just react to it a little bit slower yep. because they sort of know that, hang on, I know to, I know that I've got to react to this, but I've got a few seconds to turn around and you know, actually look to see if the, yeah. um, the turnout system's gone off or not. <clears throat> I had to set a very specific ringtone to my call-out tone on my phone because um, at the time, for, for a long time, I only had the default ringtone attached to it. 
So every time I was out in public and someone else had the same default ringtone, I was like, <laughs> oh, yes. it, it was instantly clenched. Yep. Mm -hmm. It was just, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a get up to go do something. It wasn't anything. It was just instant clench, yep. instant tension and yeah, BPM off the scale. Yep. Yeah. Right. Ready to go. I've so. been, uh, you know, like everybody have a watch now that monitors my pulse all oh, day. Sure. And I actually, <laughs> I actually got it. Well, one, I'm a tech nerd, as you know, so I had to have one. And Liz is shaking her head going, oh my God, she wants one too. But I was very, actually, I was actually very interested to, to track my pulse rate through, through my shifts mm -hmm. um, specifically to see if that was actually happening or not okay. or how much it happened. And it obviously you do, you know, your pulse rate does come up. Mm -hmm. I find mine doesn't race. I don't have a, a like a straight up adrenaline reaction to those those things but what i'll find is that uh my pulse rate will come up gently mm -hmm. as i respond to a call um you know it'll go from my resting heart rate sits down around about 50 or so <laughs> that's super braggy man no <laughs> it just is, it is. i'm not uh, it's just what it is um but when i get on a like to a job depending on what i'm doing on that job but my resting heart rate when I'm sort of responding and getting ready and all those sort of things bumps, it doubles, it bumps up to about a hundred mm -hmm. and then it will go up from there, depending on what yeah, the right. physical tasking is, you know, whether it's, you know, climbing stairs or dragging hose or whatever it is. Um, and it will fluctuate around in the job, depending on how much physical exertion you're putting in. Sure. But it, it was really interesting actually, like Matt showed me just to see, um, again, the, the mental and emotional reaction that raises that heart rate as compared to the physical jobs as well. Mm. Obviously, you start getting more physical, your heart rate's going to go up. That's yeah. that's normal. But to see, again, you know, if that triggers you and shoots your heart rate up because you're having a little bit of a, an adrenaline and a rush to it, yeah, it's really interesting. I would, it, would, it would be good to see if, you know, other people, you know, like you said, you heard that ringtone in public and you went, <gasps> clinched instantly. You know, that would be good to see what your, you know, heart rate or something like that's doing yeah. to see how much of a, a, a trigger and, and a reaction you have to it mentally and emotionally. I, I know if I'm asleep, um, I've seen mine spike to about 160. Oh, wow. Mm, and then, which is quite high. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's quite high for my age as well. It is. Um, and then it come, it sharply comes down. Like as soon as I'm, well, I'm going to guess, as soon as I'm in the car or something like that, it drops mm very very sharply and then yeah. it just it flat lines all yeah. the way across so yeah because you can think about what's happening in well yeah a bit. yeah <laughs> but also too being woken up from sleep suddenly is um a physiological reaction as well yeah. you can go and it's going to shock you a little bit but while you're awake if you were to have that reaction and yeah. just shoot up that would be something different <laughs> again yeah um, i find i don't get that massive spike um because i was curious whether it was happening or not i never i never felt like it mm -hmm. And I was curious whether it was actually happening, and I found out that it. Uh, I don't get the adrenaline spike. I don't get that initial surge that uh, a lot of people seem to talk about or get. Yeah. Um, I've had to deliberately, like over the time, depending on. Um, I used to react to my one of my previous workplaces. Um, there's certain radio calls that will make me react mm -hmm. um, from my ski patrolling days. There's certain words that I will will elevate to mm -hmm. um but i found that i tend to elevate more necessarily f um, from like human emotion and have to um, keep that in check rather than certain sounds or so like a a 
a siren in a fire truck doesn't doesn't raise my pulse. No, because it's just it, it's not white noise, but it's a it's a noise I've just become very used to to say. Yeah. It's just a warning signal to say, hey, there's something coming that you yeah. might not be aware of. Um, I've actually found that um, uh, almost to the opposite end of the scale where I've been in traffic before or driving and there has been an emergency vehicle and I just haven't heard it. And it's, oh, wow. it's, because, it's not because I haven't heard it. It's just because I'm so used to being inside that cab. Yeah, I understand what the noise is for. Yeah, yeah and, and having to relay messages inside that cab between four people. Yeah. And choosing to completely drown it out it's not unusual yeah. for you whereas for the general population yeah. it's like oh wow what is that it's That's unusual it. i'll find I'll, I'll react more to the way someone talks mm-hmm. um the tone of their voice <coughs> or uh a look that i may get from somebody that um especially someone that maybe has a little bit more experience in a certain thing if if you start mm-hmm. to hear them elevate and go oh hang on this could be really bad yep. mm. um that makes me trigger more than a, a particular noise or anything yeah. like that so um and i find i still like i still react to people talking to me about jobs sure um because i'm i'm reacting to their emotion more so than anything else the description of the job sure. yeah and it's yeah that's that sort of thing i find i have to really deliberately uh, moderate myself sure and go what like rather than just <clears throat> reacting to the the physical you know the physical mm-hmm. emotion that comes with it, mm-hmm. it might be a you know a quivering voice or your breath shortens or whatever you know all the different um, body reactions you get. Um, I'll notice them and actually try to like say, okay, what do I need to do to keep that in check for myself so I can function properly? It might just be that you know I need to physically stop myself and you know force myself to breathe deeper or just relax for try and bring myself mm-hmm. back down for you know 10 seconds or so yep. I find that sort of thing or something I've found over time is to also help other people to try and do that like when I see people in those elevated states I can sort mm-hmm. of say hey you know just look them and just go hey look let's just nothing nothing bad's going to happen here or we're not going to make this any worse or anything like that yep. but that that's a learned thing that I've got from you know, I didn't come up with that myself. That's been something that's been taught to me from people that have had to learn it from other people. Oh, sure. You yeah. know, and it's, uh, yep. if you can pass that sort of thing on, you go, well, how can you look so calm? And you go, well, inside I'm still yeah. elevated just like everyone else. Stuck but on a pond. what's, what's yep. the point? What am I going to bring to the table if, if, if I'm peaked, I'm not going to function as well as I possibly can. That's and right. then you're going to get peaked. And then we're going to have, if we have, you know, four people or 10 people <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> it doesn't work. No, I know. You know, you need, um, you, I'd much rather work with uh, a group of people that have got uh, rational, you know, level heads on them and go, well, how can we affect this situation and make it better? Yeah. Then four people you know are running around with their heads you know, just with their heads covered <laughs> right. it does it doesn't work that's it now, I, I know you and i have had a discussion about this previously in that you know uh, a lot of the times unfortunately um we it's 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 a common misconception that, that we're there to save lives and it's uh, unfortunately there's a lot of the times like we don't get me wrong we we do we do save lives there's a lot of the times that we're just there just we, we can't through through no fault of our own we just can't and so therefore you you need to you need to be there not necessarily to make to save lives but to make a difference 
And sometimes that being there, being that level-headed, being in the uniform, mm -hmm. being professional, people draw from that energy. Oh, absolutely. You know, it makes them feel secure. Yeah. If people are running around like crazy people because they're stressed or whatever, and then you've got this mm -hmm. person who's professional in a mm -hmm. uniform and that can suggest solutions to the problem, mm -hmm. people draw calmness from that. Yeah, I think so, that was part yeah, of that absolutely. conversation that we did have that was, think of it like you are a, you're essentially a problem solver mm -hmm. and you're not going to have the answer to all the problems or all the solutions, but in amongst the team, you probably come up with a pretty good solution for whatever is thrown at you. Mm -hmm. um, it may be, uh, you know, like if there's a, a particular car accident, like if someone hits something at a you know, particular set of speed, there's not a whole lot sometimes that you can do for that person because the damage has been done by the incident itself. That's right. As you say, that's that whole, you may not, there, there is those small chances that you, you can affect some change that maybe does save that person's life. Um, and they're great, um, but that's not all the time. It may be that you get there and there's nothing wrong with the people, but everyone's just losing their mind <laughs> because, hey, something out of the ordinary has happened. You know, like Liz and I were having a really good conversation just this morning about the effects of change. Um, I used to have a couple of colleagues that I would work with, and one of the things that we were focused on a lot with, you know, management teams or different corporations or rescue teams or whatever was how to deal with change, whether that change is rapid in an, you know, a constantly evolving situation like an emergency mm -hmm. and how you deal with the people that are trying to adapt to that change or organizational change or, you know, the slow change that, you know, sort of encounter people encounter through their lives and everybody has a different reaction to it. Um, most people don't like change, especially no. rapid change. Yes. <laughs> rapid change is tough for humans to to cope with. And I find if you if you're an adaptable problem solver, then rapid change isn't as scary as scary as it sounds. Sure. No, it's still it's still a little bit scary. I think because um, I mean we're not really exposed to that much rapid change in our society these days with the comfort that we live in. Mm. Um, a lot we of also, the jobs that we do. We also um, don't live in America as well. We don't live in America either. <laughs> oh, we used to. <laughs> oh, we yeah. did used to Let's, live That's there a bit of a can of worms. We can open that one another time. <laughs> I need whiskey for that conversation. <laughs> so, okay, so let's let's skirt um, let's skirt the American thing and move away from the emergency services. <laughs> uh, yes, because I, I sort of feel that America is going to be a, a deep dive one of these days. But um, COVID. And mm. in America, obviously, I think yesterday or was it today, they had the highest death rate, which is like 4,400 people mm. a day that's passed away from how, how can that not shock anyone that lives there? Uh, who, who I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it is shocking the general population. I mean, Matt had, um, I mean, we've got a lot of friends over there, a lot of friends that we talk to very regularly. Um, your little social media post the other day stirred the pot for a few people about that, didn't it? <laughs> it did. So, oh. okay, for, for those that haven't seen it, um, what, what was the social media post? Uh, would, would, you, would you care to discuss it or do you want to oh, leave I'm happy, it? I'm happy to discuss it because it's something, <coughs> when I wrote it, I was actually, it's, it's genuinely how I felt. Okay. Now, I, I'm not big for, I don't like to rant, but I find occasionally I rant. Sure. Like a lot of people do, but I, I wouldn't I call tend... it a rant. It was just more you were you were laying down I... your observations about how shocked it is, or how shocked people looking from the outside mm -hmm. 
in to America are and just asking the simple question, do you realise that this is how we're viewing you? Do you realise the situation you're in? Um, and it, it really upset a few people. It was it was probably um, an interesting social experiment, if nothing else, <laughs> uh, because I'm happy to have a whole range of friends across a whole range of places and industries and backgrounds. And, and as much as I say that, my group of friends is probably not as diverse as diverse could be. It's not because we only encounter certain groups of people in our lives that's just by how we grow up where we grow up you know where we choose to travel all those sort of things so i'm not by any means saying that you know i've got the market on cornered the market on (laughs) diversity that's that's never going to be the case i just provide occasionally and this was an example where i just provided my own sort of personal viewpoint because one of the things that surprises me so much about what is going on in with something you know like what's going on in America, but with all of the changes that are going on around the globe and all of the uh, fundamental human problems that are occurring on a day-to-day basis that are highly politicized, um, we are seeing, you know, with our information age, we're seeing the the quality of the information that is available to people on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. is being diminished because it's all being drowned out in opinion Mm -hmm. rather than fact Mm -hmm. opinion and feeling opinion feeling emotion um you know i'm I'm a big believer in like you are more than entitled to have an opinion but by having an opinion it doesn't necessarily mean it's a correct or b based in fact or c more valid than anybody else's Because when I say that's that part about more valid than anybody else's is, is not saying like I will not choose to listen to your um, opinion about a political topic or something like COVID. COVID is not a it's not an opinion thing. It's not about what you choose to believe. Mm-hmm. The scientific fact about this mm. thing is it's crazy infectious. Uh, they got a really good idea of where it's come from and how it's seeded and how effective it has been on walloping a large bulk of the human population. And it continues to grow, but we've politicized it and worried more about economy, economies and money. And what's this going to do to my income next week? Then we have worried about, is this going to kill me? Is this going to affect my family? How big is this going to get? Someone mentioned to me the other day, I'm, I'm not sure if we had this conversation, but they said, you know, one person, one person dies, it's tragedy. If a million dies, it's, it's a statistic. And that's, that's, we're in that situation right now where people, you know, like you look at what's going on in the US, um, they have a different system to us. They, they, socially, they are different to us. As much as you want to look at American television and go, they're the same, they're not. And having lived over there, that fundamentally, we have a lot of similar ideals, mm-hmm. but we're different. Mm-hmm. Australia's got a bit of a socialist heart that that underlies it. So we might live in a relatively capitalist society and we are democratic, but we have this social safety net that we all commonly buy into. Mm-hmm. Most of us buy into it. There's a few people that don't and we'll fight it and that's going to happen everywhere, but... The, the post was about saying, hey, 
you guys are, we're looking at this from the outside going, this is what you guys have done is you're burning down your own house mm. because you don't agree with the paint color or, you know, you don't agree with how this is happening. You are being absolute hypocrites. Yeah. Essentially, was the, you know, it was the side of the post. And we feel bad for you because we're looking at going, this is a problem that you guys have. You've got a human problem. It's not a political one. It's a human one mm -hmm. because you guys can't talk to each other anymore. Mm. You can't base your arguments in fact because where are you getting your information from? Oh, I believe this. Like just because you believe it doesn't mean it's right. That's right. Mm. And we've gone back to that uh, that level of argument. It's like two-year-olds fighting mm -hmm. over whose toy it is. It's like, no, it's not. It's actually, you know, this is, this is the problem that we have. And now we're looking, we're looking at something like, you know, come back to your question about COVID, why are they killing more people in, you know, one of the most affluent countries in the world? Mm -hmm. There is a whole bunch of people that just don't believe that it exists. Or don't they care. Don't, they don't care mm -hmm. or they're being fed information that, hey, it's just like the flu, what's your problem? Yep. They're still traveling everywhere. Yeah. Whereas we, you know, we listen to the science. Like I was, had a phone conversation with some friends of ours They said, how are you guys handling it? I said, well, the bulk of it, so we hear from the politicians, but we hear from the politicians and then the very next person that we hear the bulk of the information from is the chief medical officer or the chief health officer or the scientist that's giving us the most up-to-date information that they currently have. And they're saying like, hey, this is new. This is how we need to react to this. We need to lock you down or we need to close a state border or we're going to put these restrictions on you to stop this virus spread. And most of us go, that's really inconvenient, but okay, I understand. And we go, Ugh. and we just sort of shrug our shoulders and get on with it. Yeah. Whereas over there, they've got people that literally just like, no, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> we have those people here too. But mm, they're, they're in the minority. Mm -hmm. Most people have, you know, we've, we're seeing the issues that we've had to rise with our sort of second, quote unquote, second wave here have come from just minor complacency yeah. more than anything else. Just going, oh, that's, hang on, that's right. It's not really a problem for us, but that problem's still happening. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas over there, it's just continued to grow. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of your friends um, agreed. A lot of our friends over there that read Matt's post um, agreed with him, mm. which which was great. Um, right. They they took no, they they took the observations well mm -hmm. because they agreed and they said, "Look, we're living here, we're living in it, and we feel the same way." But yeah, there was um, there was a few particular one um, particular one, one particular one, one particular that, um, that did not take it too well. Um, I don't know if it was just a little bit of a lost in translation misunderstanding. Was but, this person uh, American? Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes. They well, live in America, but they weren't born there. Okay. No, they were born, born they, in a different country, but they're American. Dual citizen. Maybe it was a pride thing. Might have been. Maybe it was a little bit of an embarrassment because, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's it'd be embarrassing. If, if, someone, if someone, if a group of people did that to our parliament house... Oh, be embarrassing as a country. That would be. be. Is, I would is. find it embarrassing. And again, yeah, we've we've had uh, we've talked to um, some people that live in America, and they don't. They are. They're embarrassed. They're embarrassed different, about what the different doing. level of um, social interaction. However, because in the in the days following, we get articles like uh, you know the thing from the Batuta Advocate saying you know <laughs> people, a couple of you know a couple of guys considered uh, you know uh, going to going to Canberra and. 
in ransacking Parliament House, but then they realised they had to go to Canberra, so they called the trip <laughs> off. They're like, oh, who wants to go to Canberra, you know? It's, uh, yes. You know, we have those sort of jokes, that very, you know, dry, witty sense of humour, yeah. um, whereas people, there's a lot of people in the States that wouldn't take too kindly to that kind of joke. No, I know. I, I guess the thing is, with this, especially with um, satire, Australian satire, is a lot of the time it's sort of skirting the truth as well. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's all well and good to, to laugh and joke about, you know, people ransacking Canberra but you know it was only a couple of days ago that there was a, a protest and a march in Bondi because people were protesting the um the vaccine yeah mm-hmm. so yeah yeah but, you know we should be grateful that we can do that even though they're muppets this is true but oh, there's sorry. but I there's plenty that, of there's plenty of observation about um you know you all the best all the best opinions I've, I've found have of some element of truth in them, mm. even if it's a little bit, you just got to you got to have something to build it on. It's just how far you want to <coughs> extrapolate it out. You might look at it 